Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. Now this is a key takeaways episode in which we pick some of our favourite insights from past conversations. This takeaway episode is themed around the topic of YouTube, what it takes to make kids content to really succeed on the platform and why it's become a crucial part of any kids franchise flywheel. Emily, Joe and myself will all be picking our favourite clips. First up, we have Joe with her selection. The first of my clips that I've chosen for this highlights edition of the Kids Media Club podcast, it, it emphasises YouTube's evolution, I suppose. Uh, we speak a lot about how YouTube has earned its stripes. It's grown up. Uh, it's transformed from what was ostensibly considered a mere marketing channel just a few years ago, a place where you publish clips, to, you know, now it plays a crucial role. It's an integral part of the media flywheel if you are looking to build and scale franchise brands. So with that in mind, given that it's solidified its position in terms of its importance as a medium for content distribution, we also now need a tailored strategy for working across YouTube uh, that generic approach no longer flies. So the most successful IP and brands on the platform have tailored and uh, have taken a tailored approach. They've embraced this new way of thinking about create uh, content strategy on the platform. They think about the audience's need state when they're on the platform. They're primarily there to be entertained, but they want short, snackable content. That affects how quickly you get into the attention-grabbing part of your content, for example. So with that in mind, we spoke recently to BBC Studios' Simon Clark, who is head of digital and looks after all of their bluey content on YouTube. Uh, here's his clip about they, how they approach content strategy. It's been amazing to see the power of digital and everyone embrace it. Because I think at the start, it was very much a function of marketing and it was a kind of add-on thing and it was a promotional thing. But as we've gone mm. on, the power to create digital content to connect with those audiences and really to build those audiences has become a massive importance. So we're now looped in at the very start of conversations when shows are being commissioned to think about the pipeline of content, how we'll launch it, the audience, different platforms, different content, different formats. And the content that my team now produce is really important as kind of standalone content that goes alongside the show that has its own value and, you know, really adds to that kind of engagement piece because we know that we need more and more content. And the more that digital can support uh, the kind of main productions is hugely exciting for a creative team. I'd love to hear more about that nuance, Simon, because something that I see a lot of, you know, is creators not necessarily thinking about digital platforms first or if they, they, they think that it can just be you know oh we'll just take some of this linear show and we'll just put it on youtube oh, yeah, that's my one of my pet hates we'll just put it on youtube <laughs> um <laughs> uh, so i'd love to hear more like what how, how your team approach like thinking about commissioning of content for digital platforms in their in in in, in content's kind of native form I think the key has been to get involved at the very start because it was always historically that people had finished this show, production had wrapped and the animators and all the people had gone onto different projects. And it's like, oh, mm. you've now asked for this big, long list of things and every, every, everyone's gone. But I think now people do put it really important. It's there at the very start with the commissioning slate. It's like, what is that content? What do you need? You know, what's the volume? What can we use from the main show? But what can we do separately uh, depending on that show? So I think we've really turned a corner and getting our briefs there from the very start, but also developing capabilities to reuse animation and to produce alongside the main series, which are, 
again, really helps because everyone wants that content and they understand it. But I think sometimes the digital expertise sits with the digital team because they know what works on TikTok, what works on YouTube. And it's not one size fits all. As we all know, you can't just take a piece of content and just put it everywhere. It needs to be nuanced to that platform and that audience. The second clip that I've selected really builds on this idea that YouTube has evolved and become an even more important platform as part of our media distribution flywheel and the knock-on effect that that has had in terms of this idea that exclusivity is no longer the holy grail. There's been an erosion in this notion that exclusivity is the way to go. We know that YouTube's widespread accessibility, the reach that it can afford, has really challenged this traditional construct of exclusive content on which lots of funding models were built. So we have this dilemma. We have this impact on windowing strategies. Uh, we also have the example of Moonbug, the Moonbug paradigm that uh, really marked a shift in content distribution and brand building across multiple platforms. They really did challenge the established norms. And then that has had a ripple effect on funding models due to this evolving landscape. So what is, what's been the impact on content investment? Brand owners and content creators maybe now are shifting priorities from exclusive deals to models that prioritise broader accessibility. The whole way that funding models has have traditionally been constructed has been called into question. So in this clip, the wonderful Alex Wiseman delves into uh, the effect that's, that's having on the business from her point of view. We've seen by looking at things like Cocomelon, which is a perfect example, that actually something that does well or maybe was born in YouTube and does very well can sit on a number of platforms, including ours, non-exclusively, and it's just happy days for absolutely everybody. So... Um, so they have to enable that from the get-go, which means I think that there will be a lesser investment up front. And why wouldn't there be? And it means that we will have to find, you know, ways of financing our shows through the original international coalition patchwork method, as I call it, where you have several key partners involved and you don't have that level of exclusivity. Um, so that's what I will always try to push for. And for me, makes a lot of sense. Now, next up is Emily with her pick. When we spoke with Simon Clark, something he touched on uh, and we unpacked with him was the question of how you facilitate a YouTube content pipeline within animation. And I think that's something that is probably a consideration for obviously any listeners of the show that are producers. Um, producing animation is expensive. Um, so thinking about how you're going to facilitate a YouTube channel pipeline uh, is really important because you don't want to be servicing the whole thing with bespoke animation every single time you're posting. Um, and yet uh, a YouTube channel by nature is a hungry beast. Um, Simon gives his input on how often folks should be posting these days. It's, I mean, more than once a week. And so imagining trying to service that hungry beast uh, with different types of content is so important. Um, and Simon unpacks this, uh, unpacks this a little bit for us. Um, and particularly, you know, in that lull of um, production, maybe when uh, a show's between season one and season two and Animation Studio isn't on uh, and, and considering, you know, how you manage to kind of 
get the beast, get 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 the microwave meals in in the freezer for the beast. Uh, yeah, so he was great, and he spoke to us about that. I think you have to pre-plan where you can. So you you, you you've got to plan for those kind of um, in between season moments. So I think it's it's commissioning at the very start. So you make sure you've got a good kind of bank of content, but it's looking opportunities to repackage the content too. So for Super Potato, we did, we did a couple of songs, we did a kind of a, a supermarket tour, all of that content that kind of, you know, it is using a lot of the animation from the show, but it's giving a different lens to it. So I think in yeah. that publishing cadence and just being really clear, like to run a YouTube channel, you need this amount of content over 12 months. And some people, you know, they would look at that and go, that's a lot of content. But I think it's breaking it down to what do the animators need to create and what can an, a, a good editor create, what can our team create. And once you put it into kind of silos, actually you can divide that responsibility because you need more than one clip a week for a YouTube channel. We all know that. But I think yeah. mm. you've just got to look at how you tackle that. And I think uh, we've managed to do that with a whole range of people all inputting to that kind of uh, volume. And I think... Not just that, but also how do you do it in, in French, Spanish, Portuguese, Japanese, you know, all those different languages. You've, you've got to think if something does very well, it will need to support all of those different markets and there's nuances and there's differences. But the one thing that is consistent, they all need volume. They all need content for their tools. We Christian Hughes on the show, the creator of Gecko's Garage. Gecko's Garage was bought by Moonbug and Christian has since left Moonbug very amicably. Um, we had him on the show to talk about his whole journey with that. And, you know, Christian's been on YouTube since back in the day. So he had loads of great insights. Uh, Moonbug and general YouTube producers are known for their data-driven production decisions and their data-driven, data-driven creative decisions when it comes to outputting content. They have short pipeline timelines so that they're able to turn around changes in direction pretty quickly. Uh, so Christian talked us through the key metrics that he looks at in terms of data uh, when he was speaking to us. The, the, the most valuable analytic that I would look at like two or three days after a video is launched was um, audience retention. So literally it's just a, a graph that you can see. So you basically can play the video in real time and you can see the points at which the audience drops off. So it's really useful kind of tool for analyzing your episode and seeing what works and what doesn't, right? So if you've got a big drop off right at the beginning in the first like 15 seconds, probably tells you that your video isn't hooking the audience right from the word go and your intro's too long. You know, I see some some videos where maybe like uh, someone's taken something from TV and put it on YouTube and they've got the full intro, the TV yeah. intro, you know, and you're like... With all the logos. Yeah, with all the logos. You're like, that's yeah. seconds. Like, you need to be like maybe a five-second sting if you want one right at the beginning and then get straight into the meat of the content. Um, but there was like one particular, I think it was like the sixth episode of, of Gecko, where he builds a car wash on like the side of the, the garage. And uh, I think it's like a four minute video and you have a bus drive through the car wash for 20 seconds of the app. And the video did well. And I was looking at the, the, the data, the audience retention. And there's a little point where the, the graph, the line actually went up. So normally it just kind of, you slowly lose viewers right hopefully mm. not, not super quickly but um and there's this little point where there was a there's a peak and what i found was 
that meant that viewers were going back and re-watching the scene, scene over and over again. So the next video put into production was um, literally just 10 vehicles going through the car wash. Getting, getting muddy, going through the car wash, Gecko had to clean them again, literally on loop. Uh, but it was, they were different vehicles, it was different scripts and stuff. And, you know, I think that video got like a million views in the first few days. It was bonkers. Okay, so my pick will be going all the way back to an episode that we did where we had a chat with Ryan Bradley, who's Senior VP of TV and Brand Marketing for DreamWorks. And we chatted about Gabby's Dollhouse and about how critical YouTube was for the launch of the series in building pre-awareness and specifically brand awareness and character recognition. So by the time it was actually on Netflix, it already had a bit of recognition and was giving it the best chance to really make the series the success that it grew into. There's kids content everywhere. You look at even YouTube as being a huge you know, uh, competitor for screen time. Um, and so the, the key thing is how do you stand out, right? How do you launch, how do you launch something new and how do you put yourself in front of kids? So the idea on the YouTube launch being in August before the season launch in January of 21, August of 20 and January 21 was let's put this brand and let's put these characters in front of kids in a place where they're going to spend a lot of time so that by the time they come to the series launch in January and Netflix, they recognize these people and they want to know more. So it kind of was a real long lead strategy in figuring out how do you start laying, how do you layer in character recognition, brand awareness, logo recall, things like that, so that by the time you landed on a platform that has a lot of options for kids, um, ours was the one that they wanted to pick and stand out. Yeah, I love that. And I love hearing that because it, it seemed to me that, you know, you planned the plan, you did the plan, and it, it can be very hard when you're launching a kids brand not to be reactive to what you're seeing in the audience, to what you're seeing from stakeholders. So yeah, like fair play for holding your nerve on that. Animation takes time, right? We're, <laughs> we're on, you know, long production cycles. So there's only so much you can do at any given point, right? And so sometimes you are just kind of, you know, keeping faith and, and holding the line just to, to get to where you want to go. And that's a wrap for this YouTube-themed takeaways episode. If you haven't subscribed already, I hope you consider hitting the follow button so you don't miss an episode. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss, which we haven't covered so far, please reach out on our socials. We hope you'll be joining us for the next episode. Until then, happy listening.